Over time, the Israelites who had been spread throughout Babylon and other countries began to arrive back home and worship God in Jerusalem at the newly rebuilt temple. But the wall around Jerusalem had still not been rebuilt, leaving it vulnerable to an attack. There was an Israelite named Nehemiah who was living in Susa at the time. When he was told that there was no wall to protect them, he wept and prayed, asking God to help rebuild the wall. Nehemiah returned to Jerusalem and gathered the priests and officials and told them of his plan. The plan worked and the wall was rebuilt in only 52 days. Nehemiah wanted to make sure the Israelites were not only safe, but worshiped God with their whole lives. So after the wall was completed, he gathered all of the Israelites and the priest Ezra read to them from the book of Moses. The people understood that they were not currently living God's ways. So they began to weep, but Ezra stopped them, instructing them to instead celebrate all that God had done and return to God's ways. So the Israelites did what Ezra said and began to party. This went on for several days. A short time after this, God sent another prophet named Malachi to the Israelites. Malachi warned the people of what would happen if they turned from God's ways, but also reminded the people of God's promise to bless Israel and use them to bless the entire world. After Malachi, God did not speak to the Israelites through a prophet for 400 years, but God would not be silent forever. If you're just visiting with us this morning, we are in the midst of a 31-week series in which by the end of it, we as a people will have read 70% of the entire Bible. And the reason I love doing a series like this is it gives us the overarching purposes of God here in our world and in our lives. And it's important that we understand the story of God, God's story of how he is working among his people, how he works among you and me. And if you're visiting this morning, a focus that we always have is what is God saying to us today? You see, though the word may have been written 3,000 years ago, the reality is that God is speaking and helping us by the presence of the Holy Spirit to take his truth that was written maybe 3,000 years ago in terms of the scriptures that we're reading today, and apply it to our circumstances and our lives today. So it's important that we let God speak to us as a people. It's important that we allow God to say the things that he wants to say to us. Just to bring you up to speed, what we saw is that, that when the, the people entered into the land of Canaan, they were 12 very loosely connected tribes. But then God brought Saul and then David and then Solomon to the throne. And these 12 loosely connected tribes became a nation that we call Israel. But then, because of the disobedience of the kings, the nation was divided into two. The 10 tribes to the north were called Israel. The two tribes to the south, which contained Jerusalem, became Judah. The northern kingdom had a succession of evil kings that led the people astray. And we've seen that the importance of leadership, that if we don't have godly leadership, 
that we can be led astray, walking a path that God never intended us to walk. And so God, out of his love and his mercy, he brought discipline upon the nation in the, uh, of Israel in the form of the Assyrian army. Well, then the southern kingdom, Judah, after seeing what God had done with the northern kingdom, it didn't get their attention. They continued in their evil ways as well. God continually spoke to the nation through the prophets, but they ignored the prophets, and at times they even killed the prophets. And so finally, from 605 B.C. to 586 B.C., God used the powerful Babylonian empire to bring discipline upon the southern kingdom of Judah. And Judah was dispersed, the best and the brightest brought into exile in Babylon, and the rest fled, most of them going to Egypt. It had been a generation, it had been 70 years, Persia had now destroyed Babylon. And so the, the Persian king, Xerxes, allowed the nation, allowed God's people to go back again, to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the nation. And there were three primary movements of the people from, from this place of exile back to Judah to rebuild the nation, to be the people of God in the promised land. The first, as we saw last week, was Zerubbabel and Zechariah and Hosea. And they came and they led the rebuilding of the temple. Now it would be a period of discouragement for the people because it would never be the great temple that it once was. As beautiful as this temple was, it was a far cry from what God had built through Solomon. And so the people were discouraged. And they began to stray again from God, which led to a second wave of people, which we'll see this morning. A second wave of immigrants that came back home again. And this is led by Ezra. And we'll see the impact that Ezra makes. And Ezra comes to bring spiritual renewal and revival to the land through obedience to the word of God. There would be a third wave, as you saw in the video just a moment ago. And that is, would be led by Nehemiah, who would lead and he would come. And this is the time of the prophet Malachi. After Malachi, hear this. It would be 400 years before God would speak to the people again. It would be 400 years of silence. And then God would speak through John the Baptist as he prepared the way for the coming of Jesus. This is our last day in this entire series in which we're going to be looking at the Old Testament. Beginning next week and for the next nine weeks, we're going to be looking at the New Testament and how all of this is just one story. How the coming of Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that God was doing in the Old Testament. So this morning, let's look. Let's look together at rebuilding the walls as we look at Ezra, as we look at Nehemiah. Here's the first thing I want you to see from the life of Ezra, and that's this challenge. Be committed to the Word of God. Listen to what we read in Ezra 7.10. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. 
Here's the story of Ezra. Ezra was a man who was committed to reading and understanding and teaching the Word of God. The revival and renewal that God will bring through the coming of Ezra didn't happen just when Ezra came. It began years before when Ezra was studying and being devoted to learning the Word of God, to learning this book. And so that when God brought him to Judah, to the southern kingdom again, when God brought him Revival happened in the land because of all the preparation that Ezra had done years before he ever came to Judah. Here's what I want you to see in this. When you are learning the Word of God, when you are studying the Word of God, He is speaking to you in those moments. He is preparing your heart in those moments, but who knows how He will use that in the years ahead. When I first became a Christian, that moment, God gave me a love for his word. And the very next day as a teenager, I began to read the Bible, and it spoke to me as it never had before. In all those years of studying the word of God, I became a CPA. I was going in a different direction. I didn't go through and become a pastor immediately. I had, I'm a second career person. I had another career. But all those years, God used as preparation for the moment that he would call me to be a pastor. Now, it doesn't mean that by being devoted to the Word of God, you're going to end up being a pastor. By being devoted to the Word of God, God will use all that you have learned, all that you have studied, all that you have prepared for moments in your life when he will speak God's Word through you, maybe to your family, maybe to your church maybe to your friends, maybe to your grandchildren. God will use all that you have done to prepare and to study by being devoted to the Word of God. He will use that in your life to bless the church and to bless others. He was devoted to the Word of God. He was devoted to learning this book. Now, I want to ask you this morning, as you look at your life, are you devoted to the Word of God? Are you devoted to this book? When he comes to the southern kingdom, when he comes to Jerusalem, he begins to teach the people about the word of God. And God brings revival. He breathes his breath upon the people. And the people respond to the word of God. I want you to hear this. It comes from Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 4. And I, I just love this. I'm sorry, uh, Nehemiah 8. Listen to this. So on the first day, he's, Ezra has now come back to Jerusalem. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. That's all of us, okay, people like us. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon, six hours, as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. All of the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Isn't that amazing? All of the people listened attentively. Remember, they had strayed away from the Word of God. They were not devoted to the Word of God as Ezra had been. They were not reading the Word of God. 
And then God brings this revival. Ezra comes, and all these years of preparation, God is going to use in this moment. And he stands before the people, and for six hours, he reads the book. He reads the book of the law. He reads the first five books of the Bible. Verse 5, Ezra opened the book. All of the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. There was this revival that happened in the land. In my experience, in reading history and in uh, seeing renewals and revivals happen in different places, it all begins with the reading of God's Word. And what happens is God, through His Word, strikes the heart of His people And his people repent, which means they cry out to God, they confess their sins, and they call upon the Lord to transform their lives according to the word of God. I want to ask you this morning, how devoted are you to learning this word, to learning this book? What I have found over the years is that what often happens is that people say, I, when I have more time, I will get serious about the Lord. When this happens in my life, I will get serious about the Lord. When I get married, I'll, be seri- I'll get serious about the Lord. When I have children, I'll get serious about the Lord. Friends, God wants you to be serious about the Lord now, today. He wants your heart to belong to Him through the Word of God by being devoted to His Word. Let me share with you just a couple of of ways to read the Word of God that can transform you. I, I hear people say to me, well, I don't understand it. Well, I understand that. I get it. But you can, you can, God will still speak to you. Let me just share with you three quick things that have helped me dramatically in my devotion to this book, to the book of the Lord. Number one, I always pray before I read it. God, speak to me. Speak to me by your spirit. Help me to understand what it is that you want me to see as I read your book today. God, help me to see what it is that you want me to understand. What do you want to say to me? Friends, God wants to speak to you through his word. If God wants to speak to you through his word, then the problem isn't that you don't understand. The problem is that you're not looking to him to help you to understand how this book is connecting with your life. So I say, God, speak to me. I want to hear. I want to understand. I want to respond. I want to be obedient. And then the second thing that I do is that I read slowly. And I wait for the Spirit of God to stir in my heart. Sometimes it's just reading the very first verse. And God is speaking to me. And, he's, and I stop. I don't keep going. I stop there. Because God is wanting to say to me, speak to me through that verse or through uh, those first few verses. And so I stop and that's all I read. Because if God can transform me through one verse, then my life is different. And so my goal isn't to read a chapter a day or five chapters a day. My goal is to read until the Lord is speaking to me specifically about my life. So that I can apply some truth to my life. Now sometimes that could be a couple of chapters. Sometimes maybe it is five chapters. 
But I never walk away without the sense that God has spoken to me. And friends, I'm no different than you. It's not because I have seminary training that I'm able to do this. No. The very same Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit is in me that is in you. And so God, by His Spirit, will speak to you. And then the third thing that I do is I always look for application. God, what do you want me to do about what I have read? And I've shared things with you in the past about that, but I want you to see what happens here in Nehemiah 8.13. After Ezra has read the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, here's what happens. Verse 13, on the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra, the teacher, to give attention to the words of the law. In other words, what they did was they gathered all the leaders in Jerusalem, gathered together, and they began to say, okay, what is God saying to us as a nation? What is God saying to us as a people? How can we apply what we have read to our lives today? And that's exactly what happens, and revival sweeps through the land. It's an incredible picture. I know many of you are praying for our nation, that there will be renewal and revival. Friends, it begins with you and me. If we are not devoted to the Word of God, then how can we expect revival to come to our land if revival, we have not allowed revival to come to our very hearts and our very lives? Lord, I pray for revival and renewal, and may it begin with me. May it begin with me. And when that fire begins to burn, it burns out. And it, comes, it burns from the church to the community, from the community to the state, from the state to the nation, from the nation to the world. Friends, it's time for the church in America to stand up, pray for renewal, pray for revival as we stand for God's truth and with integrity as we live that truth out in our lives. Here's a second thing that I want you to see that strikes me. This really strikes me. Ezra, another thing, and I've never seen this before. Like you, I was just reading Ezra this week in Nehemiah. And as I'm reading it, God just grips my heart for this very verse I'm going to share with you in just a moment. And my heart is gripped by this because God is wanting, is saying something to me. I shared it with our staff this week, and I said to them, I don't know all that God is saying to me through this, but there's something profound here that we as a people need to understand. And we need to grab onto. Listen um, to the second point. Ask the Lord to cause the hearts of those in authority to serve the purposes of God. I want you to hear these verses in Ezra, Ezra 7, verses 27 and 28. It says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, who has put it into the king's heart to bring honor to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem in this way. I'll explain this in a moment. And who has extended his good favor to me before the king and his advisors and all the king's powerful officials. Because the hand of the Lord my God was on me, I took courage and gathered leaders from Israel to go up with me. Here's what's happening. Ezra is living in a foreign land, led by a foreign king, the king of Persia. And Ezra and Nehemiah are a great lesson to us as books 
great examples to us of how we live faithfully to God in a culture that is foreign to the ways of God or maybe even antagonistic to the ways of God. And there are great lessons here. Both Ezra and Nehemiah, neither one compromises, but both of them, both of them find honor in their relationship with the king. Both of them are respected by the king. Now, what I'm finding is happening today is that the church, we're doing, I think, a fairly good job of being faithful to the word of God as the American church, but it's becoming increasingly the church's attitude toward the state is one of antagonism, not one of listening, not one of setting example, not one we are always to stand firm in God's truth, but we are to earn the right to speak through the integrity of our faith, the integrity of our walk with God. And we are to pray that God will change the hearts of those who are antagonistic toward his ways. Listen to what it says again. Praise be to the God and Father, uh, the, uh, praise be to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, who has, listen to this, who has put it into the king's heart to bring honor to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem in this way. The king, both Xerxes and Artaxerxes, as we'll see in Nehemiah, the king sends blessings to the people of God to honor the God that we worship. They send treasures to help build the temple of the Lord. They call on the nation surrounding the, uh, Judah to not work against God's purposes and to actually help them to rebuild the walls and to rebuild the temple. They have the favor of the state behind them, listen to this, a state that is antagonistic to the work of God. There are lessons for us in this, friends. There are lessons, certainly, in how we pray as God's people. This week, as we have all seen what's happening in Ukraine, and it's, it's horrific. It's evil. But friends, are we praying? Are we praying? Many of you received this email from one of the missionaries that we support as a church through our giving to the denomination. And he is a pastor in Ukraine working on behalf of the Church of Jesus Christ. And he sent out this prayer. And I want to read to you how he prays for Vladimir Putin. Listen to what he says and see how it is, how, how it is consistent with this verse, these verses. Lord, we pray for Vladimir Putin. We pray that you would bring change to his heart. Do you see that? We pray that you will bring change to his heart and work your miracle of salvation in his life. Now here's Vladimir Putin working against the purposes of God, not just in Russia, but in Ukraine as well. And how is this pastor responding? to do exactly what we see in Ezra, that God would change his heart. 
In fact, that God was, would open his heart to his work in Putin's life. That there would come salvation to the life of this man. Listen to what he says. If he continues in his wicked ways, we pray that you would restrain his evil and have mercy on those who suffer because of it. This is a great example, I believe, of how we are to pray against those who are antagonistic to the ways of God. There are people in our culture today in positions of authority and power who are working against the purposes of God in our nation and in our world, certainly. But the question is, are we praying? Are we asking the Lord to change their hearts? Are we asking the Lord to limit the impact of the evil of working against the purposes of God? Friends, every one of us should be praying that prayer. Every one of us who is a believer should be praying that prayer each and every day. Victory ultimately will not come because of the size of our nuclear weapons or our armies. Victory will come because of the work of the Lord. Our hope is not, as Americans, in the size of our military. Our hope is in the work of God. And we should be, that should be our primary focus as Christians. Here's the second thing that I want you to see. And that is the story, or third thing, the story of Nehemiah. The story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a cupbearer in, in the house of the king of Persia, Artaxerxes I. And what we learn from Nehemiah is to obey the word of the Lord. Nehemiah is working in the, in the palace of the king there in Susa. And his brother comes back from a trip to Jerusalem. And his brother tells him about the wall that is laying in ruins, the wall that surrounds Jerusalem. Now, why is that significant? It's significant, it's significant because it's the wall that keeps the enemies at bay. At least that was the plan. The wall around the city would keep the enemies from infiltrating the city of Jerusalem. And it gave, the, having the walls gave the city a sense of identity. This is who we are. We are the people within these walls. And so Nehemiah, in a position in the court of the king of Persia, has won favor. Now, Artaxerxes, his policies are not consistent with the ways of God. Nehemiah is a godly man who does not compromise, but at the same time, he is able to win favor by how he communicates and how he lives among the people. And what happens is, Nehemiah goes to King Artaxerxes and he says, will you let me, will you allow me to go and to rebuild the walls? Well, he not only allows him, but he gives him resources to build the walls around, to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. And Nehemiah comes back and he returns. But when he comes, he faces great challenges. I want you to hear the challenges that he faces. Now friends, as I read this, one of the things that I recognize in my own life is that I often think that if I am doing what God has called me to do, 
if I am the, the very center of the will of God, then everything should work out the way I want it to work out. I shouldn't have any problems, right? I mean, if I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do, then everything should work out great. Everything should be smooth. But it wasn't for Jesus, and Jesus said it wouldn't be for us. See, you can be at the very center of the will of God and be facing heartache and hardship and opposition and adversity. Just because you're at the center of the will of God does not mean that life is going to be easy, that life is going to be simple. In fact, often it means that we will face persecution, we will face people who will push against what it is that God is wanting to do through us, through you, through me, us as a church, but through us as individuals as well, as we seek to live out God's purposes in our lives. It's one of the things that I had to learn as a Christian, because I expected that if I was doing what God wanted me to do, then he would make sure that everything would work out just right. I would never have trouble or heart, heartache. I would never have hard things to deal with. Well, that's not true. You can be at the very center of the will of God. Jesus was at the very center of the will of the Father. And the will of the Father was that he would suffer and he would die. Of the disciples, 11 died the death of a martyr. 11 of the, uh, uh, Judas hung himself. Ten of the eleven suffered, suffered persecution. You could be at the center of the will of God and face challenge. Now, as I share this, I, here's what I want you, how I want you to listen to what I'm going to share right now. I want you to listen to this from the perspective, from this perspective. What are the walls of my life that need to be rebuilt? Maybe the walls are your spiritual life. You've neglected your spiritual life, and you need to rebuild those walls. Maybe the walls represent a relationship. Maybe it's your marriage. And you need to rebuild the walls of your marriage. Maybe it's some area of your character that you've been compromising. You need to rebuild the walls of your character. Maybe it's an area of an addiction that just has your life by the throat and you need to rebuild the walls that help you stand against temptation. So as you hear these words, as we talk about this third point, I want you to think in terms of what are the walls in my life that need to be rebuilt? What do I need to do? Well, number one, understand this. When you start doing what God wants you to do, you will face the attack of the evil one. That's why we pray the Lord's Prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the literal reading of the Greek language says, and protect us from the evil one. You're going to face challenges and adversity. Well, how do you rebuild the walls in the midst of it? Nehemiah tells us. Nehemiah teaches us this. Now, what were the, the challenges that they faced? Well, the first one was an issue of motivation. Motivation. Maybe the walls that are for you are physical health and you just haven't had the motivation to change the way that you live, to change the way that you exercise, to change the way that you eat. 
Maybe it is your marriage and you haven't been putting in the work and your motivation just isn't there. Listen to verse 10 of chapter 4. We read this. Meanwhile, this is when Nehemiah comes back and he wants to, he's there to rebuild the wall. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. See, the people were making an excuse as to why they could not rebuild the wall. You and I make excuses all the time, don't we? We know the Lord wants to rebuild an area of our life and we make excuses why we can't do that. Here was the problem. They looked at the rubble and they said, this is just too much, I can't do it. It's too much. And you're right, you can't do it. But the strength of the Lord in you by the presence of the Holy Spirit can do anything. That is the voice of the evil one speaking to you to demotivate you, to keep you from engaging in rebuilding that wall of your life. A second challenge that they faced. Listen to this in, in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 4 of Nehemiah. And you see that on the screen here. When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he's somebody from the land who is not a Jew. Heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? He's mocking them. Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? So what he's doing, he's saying, it's never going to happen. What do you think you're doing? You can't do that. You can't rebuild that wall. That's not going to happen. And sometimes it's the discouragement we receive from the people around us that keep us from doing the very things that we know we should do. Well, you've tried that five times and it didn't work. And I say the sixth time will. And we keep, every time we fail, we stand up again. And we say, I'm not giving up because this is what God has called me to do. And then we read on and we see that there were literal threats then that came to the people. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. So this is the, this is the challenge. These are the challenges that Nehemiah faced as he was working to bring, to bring the walls of Jerusalem back. These were, he was at the very center of the will of God and he faced all this adversity. But the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt. These adversities did not keep him from doing what God had called him to do. They did not stop him. He continued to build, even in the face of adversity. So let me just share with you very quickly a couple things I've learned about adversity. I remember this, that God never promises worldly comfort and security. He never does. He promises eternal comfort and eternal security, but not necessarily in this life. And so I don't expect it in this life. I expect there will be adversity when I'm trying to live out the purposes of God. And how I handle that adversity matters. I don't give up. But at the same time, I honor the people in my life, even those that are standing against me. Second, remember that this world is not your true home. 
I wasn't created to live a lifetime in this world. I was created to live an eternity with God. And the same is true for you. Memorize scripture that speak to your circumstances. I memorize scripture that will speak to the circumstances of my life. And when I'm feeling discouraged, when I'm facing adversity, I remind myself of those words of God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can, by the help of God, rebuild these walls. Daily, recommit faithfully to following the Lord. And friends, I say daily because it has to happen daily. Because the challenges will be there for each and every day. And we have to rededicate ourselves and recommit ourselves. I was just, I'm really preaching to me because I did a great job of eating well for about three months. And man, I like chocolate. And oh, was I a bad boy the last few days. And I want to rededicate myself. Now, why does it matter to me? It's not just so I have a great beach bod. It's so that I have all the energy I need to do everything that God has called me to do until he calls me home. I don't want my body to give out because I haven't treated it the way I should. I want to do everything with the energy God's given me and called me to have. He's given me this body. I have to be responsible and a good steward of it. So I have to rebuild those walls, friends, because I started eating chocolate again. And I'm loving it. But I got to stop doing it. So let me just quickly close with this in the next just few minutes. Malachi. Malachi, his challenge is give God the very best that you have. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me, says the Lord. Ooh. God is saying to the people, why are you not honoring me? He goes on, he says, I'm a master. Where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? Where is the honor due me, says God? This is a very challenging book that you need to read if you didn't read this week. So what does that mean? Well, here, let me mention just a couple of things. He talks about how we worship. Listen to what he says about worship. He says, when you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? So what they would do, were doing was they were taking the very worst of their stock and offering it as a sacrifice to God. Oh, this one won't fetch much money. I'll give that one to God. And they weren't giving God their best. He says, well, you, when you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering those to your governor and see what happens, he says. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Asked the Lord God Almighty. Do we give our best in worship to the Lord? Or are we just going through the motions? Are we just showing up to show up? To put another little check by our names? No. We come to engage fully with the Lord. We come to, to speak with the Lord in prayer, to hear the Lord through his word. We come to unite our voices together, whether it's a song we like or a song we don't like, whether it's a style that's our style or a style that's not our style. It doesn't matter because we're not doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for the Lord. And so we unite our voices. We unite our hearts to glorify him. I, I, I wrote down the Stepford Wives. No idea why I did. 
But remember the Stepford Wives? Some of you saw those movies or read the book where the wives were like robots? Sometimes I think in worship we just show up. We're like robots. We're not engaged. What does that say to God? Here's a second area, service to the Lord. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he's the messenger of the Lord God Almighty. And people seek instruction from his mouth, but you have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused people to stumble. Every believer is gifted by the Holy Spirit, and we're going to do a lot of work on that in the fall. That every believer is gifted by the Holy Spirit. Here's the question. Are you serving in the very best way that you can? Are you giving God your very best when you serve him? When you serve by using your spiritual gifts or you serve your spouse, serve your children, serve your grandchildren, serve the people you work with, are you giving your very best because it's worship to the Lord? A third area is our tithes and offerings. Listen to what he says. This this is a very hard word. Listen to what he says. Will a mere mortal rob God? He says, but you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And God says, in tithes and offerings. So that is the money that we bring to him. God says when we do bring to him what it is that he's called us to bring. The tithe is 10%. The offering is in addition to the 10%. And when God lays that on our hearts and he, puts the, he put the floor at the tithe, the 10%, and the offering in addition, here's what happens. He says, you're robbing me. When you don't give, you're not robbing the church. You're robbing God because you're not giving to him what he has given to you to give. Do you see that? He's provided your wealth, the Bible says. Then he says this. He says, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. So what happens? Listen to this in Ezra. When they arrived at the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, some of the heads of the families gave free will offerings in addition to the tithe toward the rebuilding of the house of God on its site according to their ability. According to their ability. According to their ability, not everybody gives the same amount. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury for this work 61,000 derricks of gold, 5,000 minyas of silver, and 100 priestly garments, which is an amazing outpouring of blessing to the Lord. Friends, this section of scripture in the Old Testament, I hope that through these last months you have fallen in love with the Old Testament. It speaks to today. It speaks to your life and to my life. Open our hearts. Let us listen to what God has to say to us. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for the blessings you bring to your people. Lord, we are blessed. We are honored because we are your children. But Lord, just like the people at the time Uh, the Old Testament, at the time of, of Ezra, at the time of Nehemiah, at the time of Malachi. We too stray. We too wander away. Lord, I see it in my own life. I am prone to wander. God, thank you 
that you bring us home again and you welcome us with open arms and you empower and strengthen us when we allow to live the life we were created to live and thus to find the peace and the purpose that we are seeking so desperately but looking in the wrong places. Lord, may we be hearers and doers of your word that the name of Jesus Christ may be glorified everywhere we go. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's children said, amen. Amen.